Welcome to the OA Virtual Kitchen Sink Meeting Podcast. Visit the Los Angeles Intergroup at oalaig.org for information on how to join our meeting live and how to donate to support this meeting and our podcasts. The opinions expressed on the Kitchen Sink Podcast are those of the individual speakers and do not represent OA as a whole. And now, our speaker. Good morning, everybody. My name is Colleen, as I said already, and I'm a recovering compulsive overeater. And thank you, Ellie, for asking me to speak. Um, It's always an honor to be able to give service uh, to this program in any way. Um, To qualify, I've been abstinent um, just over 20 years. My abstinence date is August 4th of 2002. And my top weight that I know was 311 pounds. So I've been maintaining about 165, 170 pound weight loss probably for about 18 years or something like that. So truly a miracle. And that's only one, one piece of the miracle. I'm going to try and see if I can share my screen. Here. Give me a second. Are you guys able to see the pictures? Awesome. Okay. So um, normally um, I would be able to like share these around or whatever a little thing, but just to give you an idea that like I started out as a relatively normal sized kid and you can kind of tell I had a penchant for sugar early on. (laughs) Um, And my weight didn't really start to come on until I was about eight or nine years old. Um, and then it kind of sort of progressed steadily. You know, this is me like in middle school and then in high school. And then as I get later on into high school and then into college, um, I didn't, I went on one diet, I think when I was in seventh grade, um, didn't really do much with that. And then in college, it just, I kept going up and up and up, um, I did have a brief time in high school. I lost about 40 pounds, but I had a very distinct experience of um, a good friend of mine was hanging out at my house. Her father came to pick her up and he looked at me and he looked me up and down. He's like, wow, you look great. He had no ill intentions by that. But I remember internally thinking, (gasps) you know, and um, and I had also reached a point where I just didn't like I hit a plateau and I didn't know what that was. All I knew was I wasn't eating all the things I liked eating. So by the time I graduated from college, I'm pretty heavy. Um, I'm not even sure I was quite at my top weight yet. I still had a bit to go. And then this last series of pictures here is just so this was me about three weeks before I came into program. I was a bridesmaid. Shocker. And who else would wear a dress like that if they weren't a bridesmaid? Um, and that was July 4th weekend. And I remember I was in Ohio for that wedding and I came back after a road trip. And so it must have been late July when I walked into the rooms in 2002. And then this is me about a few weeks in the program. I was a teacher at that time. So it was my school picture, um, just to provide a frame of reference. And then about a year of abstinence, I'd lost about 25, 30 pounds. And then this was me two years abstinent. Um, And then basically this is me today. Um, I mean, these pictures are a little old, but 
I put this picture here. This is when I graduated from graduate school. There was a very distinctive, besides the fact that I look really different, I also did not eat my way through my graduate degree the way I did my, um, my uh, bachelor's degree. So I'll, I'll stop showing you. But um, gosh, it was so, it's so good to, to see some folks on here that I, I feel like I've known for a really long time. Um, and to hear your voices. And I was thinking as I was listening to the how it works being read, um, I remember those early, early days coming in the rooms and I was just so broken. I really was like, I just didn't, I didn't know what to do with myself. I was really at a loss. Um, I, I spent most of my life really disconnected from my body. Um, and that was for really, it was quite, um, in, ingenious of me, given that there was a lot of chaotic things happening for me in my body starting at a very young age. And I had no frame of reference. All, all I knew is that I, I didn't quite feel safe, but there was no language around that. I was very sensitive, well, I'm still a sensitive person, but a sensitive child. Um, I've heard other people in the rooms talk about, but my mother used to say that I was a regular, like Sarah Bernhardt, which I guess was this black and white actress who was just very dramatic all the time or whatever. And I think I just have lots of feelings and I feel things deeply, you know, and, um, but apparently that was a liability, not a, <laughs> not an asset. So, um, you know, I learned to temper it down. I learned to be what people expected me to be. I learned to, um, not, not um, believe that my body was my own and that I had a say in who touched it, when and where and how. And, you know, um, I don't know most people who could do that without needing something to numb out from that, you know? And so that's where sugar, which is my main drug, really came in handy. Um, it just, the level of being able to be conscious of things um, going on in my body just got numbed out. And, um, you know, and then as the weight came on, that became a nice protective layer. Not that I consciously did that, but that, you know, it was a, it was a great way to like be able to say back off, which I didn't have the words for by not saying it, you know, it could all, by all appearances, I was loving and jovial and warm and embracing. And meanwhile, like this scared little child living inside of me, like doesn't know what to do. So I just keep eating you know, and, um, and then it didn't, wasn't just sugar. And then it became every, every other, you know, the more processed it was, the more I loved it or whatever. And, um, you know, that's pretty much how I, I lived my life. Um, uh, and I remember when I came into the rooms, I was in my late twenties and um, I came in because actually my therapist recommended, she thought I would like the, like the camaraderie or something, which I remember thinking, what, why would I want to be in a room with people who like talk about food stuff? But I came in and, and there was more than that. Like you guys talked about these steps, which I didn't know. Um, and you, you had this languaging around like who you were and your behavior, like you seem to know yourselves in a different way. Um, and I, I just wanted it. Like I wanted, I wanted to be a part of that. And, and I think what I loved more than anything 
although I wouldn't have admitted it at the time, was that like people got up, they shared whatever they had to share, and then everybody clapped. I mean, even if they said like really crazy stuff, I was like, wow, like everybody just that, that acceptance to just be who you were, not hold things back, you know? And there was a structure to it, like in the traditions and the steps that like made it all possible. And so it became this sort of safe space that I think on some level I'd always been looking for. And I really feel like that for me was really what clinched it in terms of, because when I came in, I was not the least bit interested in doing anything about my food or any of that. Like, I didn't even think I was capable for me to lose weight. Like the whole idea of being in a healthy body weight was like some sort of fanciful thing I'd given up on a really long time ago. So I was just like, okay. But I met people who did that, who'd reached a healthy body weight, who'd been hundred pounders. People I looked at and thought, I can't even imagine you at that weight. And they showed me their pictures and I was like, oh my God, you know? And not only that, but they kept it off for like years and years and years. And, you know, this was just before like, things like the biggest loser and all these other things where like people were losing huge amounts of weight. Like this wasn't a thing that I knew of. And, and then what even more was a clincher was that you talk about how like you didn't eat these certain things anymore. And that was another thing that I was like, what, how do you not do that? Like um, I still laugh when I think about when I was in high school, I was in this group nutrition group or something. And this dietitian was leading us Um and he said, you know, if you listen to your body, your body will want broccoli. And I thought, yeah, my body never wants broccoli. <laughs> it wants cookie dough and pizza and doesn't want broccoli. But anyway, so when I came in, you know, um, I'm a very good rule follower, right? So that served me well. So you said, get a sponsor. So I got a sponsor. You said, work the steps. So steps. My sponsor helped me establish an abstinence, and that's my baseline abstinence, which is three meals a day, nothing in between, um, two optional foods. Um, and uh, and then I went on to further define like what those snacks were, and then I went on to add alcoholic foods to that list. Because to be honest, and it took me a couple of months, so I didn't do all that right away. Like I wasn't willing to let go of the sugar first thing. In fact, if you had said that to me, I would have walked right out the door and probably never come back. So, um, but clearly after a little while, my poor sponsor, this is the second sponsor I had, she was like, have you thought about not having sugar? Like, <laughs> I just imagine that like, I can just, because as a sponsor, I know, like you're listening to them complain about that same, the, the time it was my roommate, the same situation over and over. And it's like, yeah, like eating all that sugar is not keeping the spinning from happening it's adding to it you know and and I can't think clearly when I'm on that stuff um so that was one of the first steps and that was actually the first time I started to lose weight when I stopped eating sugar um as a result of that about 30 to 40 days after I'd done that I actually did have some sugar because I didn't make a promise not to ever go back to it but for the first time in my life I felt in my body, like how that felt. And it felt gross and disgusting. And I, I had probably the first moment of like even acknowledging my body and said, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Cause I thought about like all the times that I just pummeled that stuff into me without one thought of like how it really made me feel. Um, 
And because I only liked the effect of it, you know, it talks about in the big book, like, they like the effect of alcohol. Yeah, I liked the effect that, that the sugar just cut me off. And um, so basically um, at that point, I was like, I don't want to do that to myself anymore. And um, so from that point forward, I haven't had any, what I call blatant sugar, some people call it recreational sugar. In general, I just follow the rule, like it should be like the fourth or more ingredient on something. Um, but as far as my absence goes, it's just a blatant sugar. So, um, you know, it sometimes happens, you know, they, they always say, right, like you want to know um, what's, what is the expression? I'm not remember, but like, if you want to know what's, why you're eating, stop eating. If you want to know what's eating at you, stop eating and you'll find out, you know? So um, I consequently was confronted by a lot of memories that resurfaced for me that were really um, alarming. And I had to kind of like get my bearings a little bit. Um, so by the way, you can, in case you didn't know, you can eat lots of things, even if there's not sugar, lots of things that are not going to keep you losing weight or anything like that. So I had a couple months of sort of like being, staying in that space before I did anything more with my food. And then it was just after a year of abstinence. And I remember I was sitting in the meeting and the speaker was um, sharing from the doctor's opinion. And, and I really love the doctor's opinion. If you haven't looked at that, it's before the first chapter <laughs> in the big book. But because um, he really, the doctor really clearly lines out that there's two elements, the obsession and the allergy. So it's clear that I have an allergy to blatant sugar, um, other substances which are listed on my abstinence, which I can share offline if anybody's interested. And um, I also um, have a compulsion. Like when I, you know, when I was in my disease, like it was, there was no choice about what I ate. Like it just was like that that decision had already been made. Like it was the need need to be met, the feeling need to go away, whatever it was need to be numbed out. And so that would work, you know? And I'm, I'm actually really grateful that the food did work because if it had not, I would have gone on to find harder substances. And I don't know that I would have lived very long. Um, I always just joke that like, if I could have hooked it up to an IV, sound like anything else, you know, I would have, right? So. Anyways, um, she was reading the doctor's opinion and they said the only thing we had to suggest was entire abstinence. And I was like, hmm. But there was just something very definitive about that. And I, and I remember sitting in the meeting going, okay, so what am I doing here? Like, this is over years anonymous. Like, I'm still carrying an extra, I mean, I guess at the point it was probably like 130 pounds or something. Um, and I was like, I'm either doing this or I'm not. And you know, it says, when we read and how it works, if you have decided that you want, we have and are willing to go to any lengths to get it. So up to that point, I wanted what you had, but I didn't, I was getting my bearings, right? Um, and I really feel like the clarity from not having the sugar coursing through my system made a difference. But basically I was like, I want this. And so I really drastically- Five minutes. Thank you so much. I really changed things around, meaning that like I upped my meetings. Um, I got a new sponsor. We defined a food plan. I committed my food ahead of time. That was not something I, at that time I was doing reporting my food. 
I got on the scale once a week, which I hated. Um, I had to pray. She had this whole long list of things for me to do. But they saved my life. These things saved my life. It got me really further into the steps. I worked all my 12 steps the first time through. Um, I steadily started to lose weight. And, you know, when I reached my um, maintenance, that's really when a lot of the emotional elements came up. And it was like, well, now I have nowhere to go. Like, there's no like, oh, I've got a few more pounds to lose kind of thing. It's like, no, no, I need to learn how to live in this, live with these feelings. And, um, and that's what the steps guide me through, you know? And, you know, one of the things that I'll, I'll just say in my remaining few minutes here is that in Bill's story, which is also before the first chapter, um, he talks about how we have to perfect and enlarge our spiritual life if we are to survive the trouble spots ahead. And that was another one of those phrases that really clinched it for me because I was like, oh, okay, you know, I had a concept of a higher power, but I knew that there were certain areas of my life, my food, my body, that I didn't, I just figured in my heart, why would God want to know about any of that? Like, what? Like, clearly there's people starving in the world, like, you know, like God has bigger things to deal with than my food. And when I got that, like, if this was a God of my understanding that cared for me, which says in this third step, then God would care about my food and God would care about my body and God would care about like my sense of safety and everything about me. And um, so as I began to open up those elements, I began you know, I found out about this particular practice or this um, shamanic experience or this, or, you know, like this workshop, this, you know, and I just opened myself up and it, it really has expanded my whole sense of, of, which I still call God, but I have many understandings of my higher power. And that includes an understanding of a higher power who's not afraid of any of my feelings, as angry or as rageful as I might get, as sad or as happy or baby as I am, I figure my higher power installed them. If, if God can't handle them, I don't know who can. And, and God can be there for me when I still do my prayer and meditation, when I come and sit in that space. And I don't want to stay, and I want to abandon me like I learned how to do at a young age. Like God has the strength to stay there. And I, I no longer, you know, I think growing up I wanted God to like save me from things, right? Like save me from being fat and being made fun of by the kids, save me from my family, save me from whatever it was, this test I had to take. Um, and what I've learned for me, what has shifted is that I'm no longer looking for God to rescue me um, from life. Like life is here, life is life. This is what I'm supposed to do. But I need someone who has my back someone who can stand behind me, who can be there no matter what, who remembers the best of me when I am completely disconnected from that, who remembers the courage and the strength that I have, um, who finds the quirky little pieces of myself that are sometimes irritating, funny, you know, and there's just this open channel of communication and, um, sense that like whatever happens I don't have to do it alone and that's mirrored in my fellows it's mirrored in 
everything that I experience because God isn't just this solo experience. God is this multitude of experiences. So, um, you know, I'm just going to wrap up here, but just to say that like, it is possible. Um, the miracles continue to happen. Um, and the longer that I stay open to them looking nothing like I think they're supposed to, the much greater and more beautiful I experience life to be in recovery. So hopefully something I said was helpful. Thank you. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Readers Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. If you asked a question last week, please wait until the first three questions have been asked before raising your hand. If you have a question, please click the raise your hand icon. Okay, uh, Bob. Yes, I am Bob, compulsive overeater, recreational sugar addict. Um, do you have a connection with your higher power and how did you establish that? Yes. Um, so I had one when I came in, um, but it just, uh, I would say one of the things I did was consistently, meaning that like I set aside time every morning, which I still do to this day for particular prayer and meditation. And that's before I open my phone, before I look at anything else. Um, you know, actually, I mean, I get in the shower first and I'm a little bit more awake, but basically that consists of, I write a letter to God, or basically like I thank God for my abstinence and the day to live and be of service. And I acknowledge like things that I'm concerned about, things that I'm worried about, I just kind of like to turn those over. And then I usually write out a couple affirmations. And then I have, um, I've actually a couple of like breath practices that I do. And then I sit down in a chair and I um, just get quiet for five, 10 minutes, depending, um, and just breathe. And then usually read a little literature. And that's that's how I, like in terms of stop, I'm constantly talking God's ear off all the time, constantly thinking God finds me rather funny. Not in a way that I think I'm funny, but just because I'm constantly gabbing about something. But, um, and then at the end of the day, uh, I send either a formal 10 step or um, an, a gratitude list along with my food commitment for the next day. So that's kind of how I close out my reflecting on my days. Okay, um, Marcy. Hi, Colleen, Marcy, Grateful Compulsive Overeater. So good to see you. Um, can you talk a little bit um, more about body image and the work that you've done around body image? Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Um, so <laughs> funny, it was not something I ever uh, thought I would be doing much work on, but somebody literally like, I don't know, a few years in the program came to me and said, you know, I gave your name to somebody. I thought you might be able to speak about body image. And I was like, what? Huh? Like, I don't. <laughs> um, and coming, you know, with my disease, I was like a reverse anorexic, meaning I'd look in the mirror and think I was skinny. Um, but I, because that sort of prompted me to sort of do what I'd always done, which is like, if there's any issue in your life, you work the steps on it. And so I started to do that work. Um, and found it really profound that like what I did was I replaced the, I, like that was the unmanageable 
part of my life. And I, I knew that I needed to create a different relationship with my body. Um, so certainly, you know, like I pulled from stuff in the literature and just kind of pulled it together. And then I actually ended up connecting with another fellow. She and I um, do a body image workshop where we go through all 12 steps. But in that process, um, I had to start really small. And I literally did that by like finding one area of my body that I liked. And I would consciously look in the mirror and be like, I really like that, you know, um, because I couldn't go with the idea that I liked my whole body, you know. The other thing that was really, really helpful to me was there was another fellow in the program who was a hundred pounder. And he, during one of his shares, talked about this prayer he would say every morning. And he said he would say it completely naked in front of the mirror. And that horrified me. Um, but, and I don't, I don't even know if I have the prayer anymore, but like, cause I had memorized it. Like, but it was something like, you know, I, my body is exactly the way it's supposed to be at this moment, you know, and, and that was just completely foreign concept because all I did was look at it and go, well, this should be this. And I wish this was this and blah, blah, blah. But so like these little pieces over time um, were ways that I looked at like how I could have a different experience in my body um, because I spent most of my life literally being in alarm. Like anytime I would sense something, because that's so much what I numbed myself out from. It would freak me out. Um, so I had to change my languaging around like how I reacted when I'd have a symptom. And I would do a lot of blaming my body. Like, you know, if my ankle was twisted, I'd be like angry at my ankle because that's super effective, you know. So um, and last thing I'll just say about this is that and it may sound kind of strange, but I, I kind of learned to sort of like talk to my body like it's a little kid. You know, so if I hurt, instead of like being angry, I'd be like, oh, little ankle, you know, <laughs> like, let's get a little wrap around you, make you feel better. So I'm, it works. I don't know. It probably sounds strange, but yeah. Uh, Ellie. Hi, Colleen. Thank you so much for your share. Um, first off, I had gotten a request if you could please put your phone number in the chat, there are people who would like to contact you. And my question regards um, self-acceptance. Do you accept yourself and love yourself as you are today? And if so, how did you get there? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's a great question. So I would say yes. Um, and I would say I got there bit by bit. And then there's days when I'm not very accepting of myself. Um, I mean, one thing, I mean, one thing that I currently do is actually, as I mentioned that letter to God, like at the end, I write a few affirmations. And one of them is I am accepting myself exactly as I am today. So it's not a given. It's like, it's an action of what I'm doing. Um, and maybe some of it comes from the fact that, um, you know, I remember very early on uh, the sponsor really, who helped me, has helped save my life. They all have, but um, she used to say to me, um, if I don't take care of me, nobody takes care of me. So something along those lines, like if I'm not accepting of me, and that was the other one, um, 
that if I'm not accepting of me, like why would I expect anyone else to be? And I spent most of my life looking for acceptance on the outside. And I started to notice that that's very fickle and very dependent upon how people are feeling. And, um, and some of that comes from my understanding of the 10th step principle that every time I'm disturbed by a person, place or thing, there's something wrong with me, meaning I'm the one who's disturbed. So if that's the case for me, then that's the case for you. So um, if I'm not accepting of me, um, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to perceive acceptance from others. And, you know, if they're not accepting of me, that's them. That's not me. So it keeps coming back to like, I'm the one who needs to do the work there. And the last thing I'll just say is that like probably a lot of that just comes from a very simple prayer that I started to say literally because I couldn't recognize myself in the mirror. Like as I lost weight, I'd close the medicine cabinet and be like, whoa, because the person who was looking back at me was just very different. And so I started to say, God, help me see me as you see me. And of course, I'm thinking like physically, literally, but I, over time, like that becomes sort of my go-to when I'm not feeling very accepting. Um, mm -hmm. Questions? Yes, thank you. I have a question for you. How has the program changed your relationships with the people closer to you, whether it's your family or your closest friends, if, if it has at all? Oh, yes, definitely. Um, one primary way it has changed is that I have great, greater clarity on like my part um, and what it means to keep my side of the street clean. Um, it also makes the fact that there's so much that I'm powerless over, especially when it comes to relationships with others. Um, that I'm like, right, I have experience with being powerless. So <laughs> um, it's helped me to create uh, boundaries, you know? Um, and another big piece is to keep my mouth shut. Like, unless someone's asking me about something or they want my advice on something, I don't need to provide it unsolicited. Um, there's been a lot of healing around my primary relationships um and that looks different than i think i thought it would look um and you know an acceptance and people people do what they know you know and um and that everyone has their own higher power and my judgments or my ideas about anybody in my life from whether it's a person on my staff or one of my friends or you know my mom like it's it's really none of my business. Um, and so learning how to, you know, because I wasn't eating and I didn't have all these pounds of protection on me, I had to find language, how to speak up, how to um, say what I need to say it nice. Um, and, and to, and also to listen. So hopefully that's helpful. Uh, John. Uh, 
what is going to the market like for you? Hmm. Well, basically what I learned to do um, is um, it's actually pretty simple because there's just like, well, first of all, there's certain aisles that I haven't been down in years. <laughs> like I remember reading something about like, if you go around the outside of the, the grocery, I was like, oh my God, that's so true. Cause I literally never go in the aisles. But, um, I early on, I remember, cause I would, I would actually sort of map out my food for the week just so that I would an idea how to grocery shop. Cause I'm not somebody who likes to go to the market every day. Like, honestly, every time I have to go, there, I'm just like, I go in, I get the things that I need and I leave. I'm not somebody who likes to wander around, um, you know, grazing or looking or whatever. Um, so it's pretty, it's pretty streamlined, I would say. I'm pretty straightforward. Um, I eat a lot of the same things, so that makes it pretty easy. Um, but I just try and keep it simple, you know, and um, I'm not a big like I'm not a great cook. So I have a foreman grill, I have a microwave, you know, I make lots of salads, so um or baked veggies or something. But yeah, I'm pretty pretty, pretty simple. Uh five minutes. Okay. Anyone have a question that they're afraid to ask? Yes. <laughs> I had gotten a, a uh, you know, a chat. Um, Colleen, would you please talk about service and how it has helped you in your program and your recovery? Definitely. Um, I mean, that's one of the core tenets of this program. Um, I learned that very early on, you know, whether it was setting up chairs in a meeting, offering to be a timer. Um, and, you know, one of the things that my sponsor, you said, you always need to have a service position. So um, I always have some kind of service position. And I learned a lot from different ones. It also gave me a lens for like when I would, I remember early on in recovery when I would spend holidays with family or something, and I was very worried and like, how is this going to work out? And that Thanksgiving meal where the food just sits out there on the table for hours drives me crazy. You know, I'd be like, I'd get up and off of the dishes, you know, I would help clean or something. Um, it's, a, it's a good way to, to focus. And then obviously, you know, in the 12 steps about carrying the message, like becoming a sponsor, um, offering to help somebody out, you know, um, temporarily or just taking an outreach call. Um, and I mean, it's so vital. Like I, it, I can't even imagine doing this program without it like it just doesn't make any sense it's such a, a piece a vital piece that really is about like me getting out of me so because me stuck focusing on me is um not really a good thing you know so. all right sandy uh, thank you so much i'm sandy i'm a compulsive overeater um could you talk a little bit um if you tell us if you had difficulties um, with cravings after dinner and which of the tools, um, did you rotate to the tools? Did you just stick with one tool um, and calling people late at night just after, after dinner plan? Sure. Um, that's not something I've really had much of an issue with, although I do eat dinner later probably than some people. Um, but 
you know, that hasn't always been consistent. Um, I think for me, I, um, it's really just about, you know, whenever I experience any kind of like craving or thinking I want it, like, um, something in general, um, I recognize that it's not about the food or about the craving. It's about whatever it is that I'm feeling. You know, it's kind of like when I think to myself, I feel hungry. Well, I can feel that right after I've eaten breakfast. So clearly it's a feeling. It's, it has nothing to do with hunger. And I learned apparently it takes 27 days to starve. So I'm probably not feeling hungry. Um, just like I'm not um, feeling um, like my body's fat. You know, like these are these are all feelings about other things that are going on, but my brain does this wiring of like, oh, it's about the food, it's about needing this or whatever. Um, so that's kind of how I dealt with that. 